Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules, powered by NeuroBloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors, available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1%. A real Jesus. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Today I have Rich Rippon. He's a project manager at the Sortition Foundation. We're going to talk about sortition and how it may lead to a better democracy. So, Rich, thanks for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background, and then I want to talk about what sortition is and and what your current work is. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, yeah, as you say, I currently work for the Sortition Foundation. My background is is a real mix. So I've worked in the public sector, the private sector, in academia, and in the the charity and not-for-profit sector. My degree is in sociology. I'm also a qualified counsellor and therapist. So as well as working for the Sortition Foundation, I have a, a private therapy practice. So I guess you could say I've always been fascinated by what makes people tick, both on an individual level and as a society. I've always been very curious about how we can live better together. So what is Sortition for people that don't know? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, it's a good place to start. Sortition essentially is the process of recruiting people to take part in deliberative democratic events, usually. It's a way of selecting people by lottery, effectively. So if you think of it in terms of in the way that a jury is selected in one sense, I guess that's slightly different in the States than it is here in the UK. But uh, the idea being that, that people are selected somewhat random by a lottery to take part in a decision making or an advisory body. Commonly these days, uh, these bodies are referred to as citizens assemblies, sometimes citizens panels or citizens juries. Yeah. And at the Sortition Foundation, our kind of specialism is recruiting the participants for these events. If it's helpful for me to explain a bit about how we do that, I'd be very happy to do so. Yeah, well, first of all, you said somewhat at random, but I would think that you got to prepare people. You can't say surprise. Exactly. So, yeah, it makes sense for me to describe a bit about how we do that, I guess. So I think I'll give you a, a concrete example to bring it to life somewhat. So, um, yeah. As I said, I'm based in the UK, but we also have colleagues working in Europe, in mainland Europe and in Australia, and we've supported projects around the world. But 
Uh, one that came to mind when I was thinking about our discussion today was the Scottish government approached us, wanted to select a group of 100 people to take part in a citizens' assembly on climate change. Basically, the Scottish government wanted to know, hey, what do regular Scottish people think about climate change and what, if anything, would they like the government in Scotland to do about it? So they come to us as the experts in recruiting for these kind of events and we do the following. We start off by taking the Scottish postal database and we use some software that we've developed to run a random selection on that database. And we select in this instance, I think 20,000 addresses across Scotland. And we then send postal invitations to these 20,000 addresses, inviting people to register an interest in taking part in this Citizens Assembly on Climate Change. So explains briefly to them what the idea is. It's obviously badged as coming from the Scottish government because ultimately it is. So people receive this and, you know, make a decision if, if they would like to, to register to take part. Uh, if they do, they go and, and do that, you know, online or through a, you know, a telephone call. And then over a couple of weeks, we then amass this uh, group of people who've registered their interest and given us some information about themselves that enables us to then carry out the second stage of the lottery process using another piece of software that we designed in collaboration with academics at Harvard and Carnegie Mellon. And so this algorithm that we use to select people at this stage we're very proud of. It was described as the fairest possible algorithm by an article published in the International Science and Technology Journal Nature last year. Well, what are some of the biases that your model needs to screen out? So basically, a, a client coming to us looking for a, a representative sample of people can specify to us which demographic categories they're interested in. And sometimes, yeah, maybe some attitudinal issues. So, for example, if you're running a citizens assembly on climate change, you don't want it to be stuffed full only of people who are, you know, like climate change campaigners or members of, of uh, political organizations that have a particular opinion. So one of the things you can do is you can ask an attitudinal question when you ask people to register their interest and you basically we have data to say what proportion of, say, the people of Scotland would rate the issue of climate change as very concerning or not very concerning. You basically have like a hierarchy of, of how people feel about the issue. So we know through opinion polls and surveys what the general public kind of what proportions of people would fall into those different categories amongst the general public so we're then able to stratify when we carry out our selection process to make sure that if you know 25 percent of people would say they are very concerned about climate change then we would have 25 percent of the members of that assembly holding that view and you know similarly if x percent are saying they're not concerned about climate change we would make sure that x percent of the people that we selected for that deliberative event shared that that opinion also classically we will be stratifying according to gender and age sometimes a socioeconomic category of some kind sometimes a kind of an education level so that if we know that you know, 30% of the population has a college education, then we'll make sure that 30% of the people in our citizens assembly have a college education and so on and so forth. Well, this brings to light when I've, when I've seen survey data, you know, and I'm sure everyone has, who knows how many times, they never tell you the underlying biases of the groups that these respondents came from. Yeah. You know, they'll say 25% oh, of people think X and 40% think Y, but if you don't know what the background or, you know, inherent biases of those people are, then what use is the data? I'm not saying your stuff. I'm just saying in general, it just points that out to me. It's like, geez, if we don't know that, then the data can be just completely bogus. 
Sure. Yeah. Which is why we're very careful to obviously base our judgments on, you know, reputable polling. I think the attitudinal question is usually only one question out of the we usually stratify on maybe six or seven categories. One of them would be attitudinal, but most of them will be demographic. So we're making sure that, you know, unlike most of our legislative chambers around the world, we will have a group of people that look similar in microcosm to the the broader public, if that makes sense. What's useful about your model? What does it bring in terms of results and quality of data that other models don't and why? Like, what are the important factors you found that are critical to making sure you get your data? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it depends what you're trying to do. And there are different applications for this way of, of recruiting participants. So I think if you're addressing a political question, one of the key issues that we think is very important is the legitimacy of the group of people who are having these discussions and, and making these decisions or more commonly recommendations at this point in time. And I suppose for a couple of centuries now in the world of democratic thought, or certainly amongst the general public, there's been this idea that, you know, representativeness and democracy equals elections. And if you're not having an election, you know, this isn't democracy. We would argue that it's it's a different way of conceiving of democracy, which, you know, at various points in history has, you know, held a lot of sway. So you may be aware as someone who's looked into sortition well, a little. Sorry. Which actually, I do want to get into that. And that'll be like a whole nother area. Before we do it, I should have asked you, I apologize. What happened with the, the people you got for the climate change service survey for Scotland's government? Like, did you get yeah. any surprises or, you know, when you've done this for different organizations, like what, what do you get out of the data that other modelers don't and what's beneficial? Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules powered by NeuroBloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors, available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. Sure. So I guess it's important to say it's not a survey as such, but, you know, it it was a citizens assembly. So the the idea was to, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, it, it has similarities with surveys in a sense. But, yeah, the idea is to is to get a sense from, you know, regular Scottish people in this case, what actions they would like the government to take. I can't go into into massive detail about what the recommendations of that particular event were, partially because I wasn't actually working at the Sortition Foundation at the time that project was running, but also because I guess we specialise so much in the recruitment. And then there are other organisations who, you know, carry out the facilitation and so on of those processes. So, so what like do you a- all right, so what do you notice about the recruitment then? Are people surprised? Are they shocked? Are they uh-huh oh, you need me, I'm here for you type thing? Like, what What are the common responses you get from people? 
Absolutely. Yeah. People, I mean, often people get this thing in the mail and they think, is this a joke? Is this junk mail? Is this a scam? Because they can't quite believe that they're being asked by a government to engage in a process and express an opinion that's going to be taken seriously. And I guess that maybe says something about the way that people feel about, you know, their democracies and their governments quite often. But yeah, people are, are delighted often, we find. So I sometimes have the pleasure of, of actually, once we've carried out selection of, of, of actually calling people up and saying, oh, congratulations, you've been, uh, you're one of the people who's been selected to take part in this citizens assembly or citizens jury and yeah people are super keen to you know to have their voice heard and to give their opinion I think we often think that people are there's a lot of talk isn't there about people being apathetic these days and you know voter turnout is down on where it was a few years ago people aren't really interested but well, yeah, I guess well, I, well why are they apathetic I mean people that like you just said oh people are interested or apathetic but if we could figure out why they are yeah Exactly. Yeah. 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 And Only I, because I think, they feel hopeless. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Helpless, hopeless. Absolutely. And so one of the joyous things about these processes is, is that you're actually saying to people, hey, we actually do really want to hear your point of view. And they're like, what? But, you know, I don't have a university degree in some cases or, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in this field. It's like, it's OK. That's not what we're looking for. We are explicitly looking for regular people to you know the wisdom of crowds is a real thing <laughs> we want to we want to get ordinary people together who have these diverse life experiences to come into a room and listen to experts for sure in whatever field it is um, we're addressing but then crucially to genuinely deliberate with each other before coming to recommendations and this is so different to the way political discourse happens you know through the world of Facebook and the world of the kind of I guess like bipartisan political systems that we have clearly here in the UK and, and you surely do in the States as well where you have this polarization of you know left right Democrat Republican people who love Trump people who hate Trump whatever this and this seems to be this increasing phenomenon but what processes like these do is actually bring people together across those kind of political divides and I think you know we as people involved in these processes and the, and the people involved in them themselves are often really surprised uh, again and again you hear from participants coming out of these processes saying you know I cannot believe it I sat down next to this guy and he told me who he'd voted for and I just kind of looked at him and thought oh you know this is just not the kind of person that I'm going to see eye to eye with um, how on earth are we going to like work respectfully together to come up with recommendations but it's it's amazing. It happens. There's actually a wonderful example of it from the States. I had the privilege recently of seeing a rough cut of a, of a documentary about a process that took place in Michigan in, I think it was 2020, where um, an organization called Of By Four set up a, a citizens panel uh, specifically to discuss the issue of COVID-19 in Michigan, obviously at a fairly kind of unpleasant stage in in the pandemic there was a lot of political discord around you know there were businesses being shut down there were restrictions being imposed there were wildly different views amongst the the people well around the world around across the US and in Michigan specifically so they brought together these 30 people who were selected by lottery through a very similar process this wasn't uh, something we were involved in at the Sortition Foundation but a very similar process and they brought these people together for a series of, of meetings over the course of about two months working usually in small groups uh, maybe five or six people in each group these were all carried out online of course at the time because uh, we were in various stages of lockdown but these people were brought together to discuss you know what should we be doing 
about COVID. And it was fascinating because you, at the beginning of this process, you had people who were every extreme of beliefs around COVID. You know, COVID didn't exist for some of them. Other people said they had family members who died of COVID. So, you know, the tension in the room at the beginning was was palpable. And, you know, uh, watching the documentary, the feeling is like, how on earth are these people going to constructively work together? But then this process unfolds and it's quite incredible the degree to which they were able to work together they were able to you know they weren't just shouting at each other on Facebook or or listening to you know opposing media outlet with wildly different views they were listening to other citizens other regular Americans and and how much of that how much of that do you believe were they oh they so they weren't in the same room they were on zoom but they were still able to do that that's surprising yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, they were, they were, they were on Zoom. But I guess one of the crucial things about these deliberative processes in general is that, you know, you might have a hundred people or 50 people selected to take part in them, but the vast majority of the work they do happens in small groups. And I think that's an absolutely essential part because you can't have meaningful deliberation amongst a hundred people. It's just impossible. But if you have a facilitated small group kind of setup, so you can have plenary sessions where you're hearing from the experts, but then you break into small groups with a facilitator discuss stuff in a respectful way, come up with ideas, feed them back into the big group, and then it, it goes back and forth like this. And that, that's how these processes work across the world. But yeah, in this case, they were basically tasked with, okay, come up with a bunch of recommendations. I guess they were recommendations to give to like state government. And between them, they came up with a whole raft of, of ideas around, you know, what should be done. And uh, and then at the end of the process, they all voted so they agreed what these these suggestions would be, and they all voted on them. And every single proposal uh, received at least a seventy percent vote, and at most a ninety three percent vote. So every every single one of the proposals they made between seventy mm. and ninety three percent agreement. Which, when you consider you know the differences in their backgrounds, in the politics that they that they had, and nobody was saying you know nobody was walking away from that process saying like oh you know I was a Trump voter and now I'm not or you know, I was I was liberal and, and now I'm a conservative. But people were absolutely listening to each other and changing their views based on what they heard from other regular people. And they were able to to, to come up with, you know, That's mutually good. acceptable processes. Yeah. So what, what's the goal of the Sortition Foundation? What, what are you guys trying to promote? Just good, yeah. solid, you know, dialogue on issues or, or what is it? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean. I guess we have, in a sense, kind of a dual approach at the moment. So we do two main things. One is that we we do this kind of, I guess, in some sense, it's quite mechanistic, utilitarian service. You know, we provide this service of, of, you know, because our founder is, you know, has a maths background and he's written this software that enables us to, to carry out a selection in a very demonstrably fair way. So we do that to help support these events all around the world but we also campaign that's the other string to our bow i guess is that we also campaign to basically make the this way of of doing politics if you like more commonplace so for example we have a campaign running in scotland the scottish government is pretty interested in this kind of deliberative democratic approach and you may or may not know but currently the the scottish parliament is is a unicameral parliament it only has one house Uh, so there's no Mm. kind of like scottish senate or equivalent of the the uk house of lords or whatever there's just the one elected house of parliament we have a campaign in scotland to say hey why don't we have a second chamber in scotland but rather than it being an elected senate why don't we make it a people's house that is populated by people who are selected everyday people who are selected by lottery uh, yeah that's excellent 
and then paid to go and, 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 and sit in that role maybe for 18 months or two years and then be rotated out. And we basically is, is, there, really... is there massive resistance to that or, you know, what do the naysayers say about something like that? That's crazy. Like, what do they say? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose the first criticism that people would make of these processes in general, whether it's, you know, for an ambitious project like actually having a a people's chamber in the Scottish Parliament or whether it's even just having a local citizens assembly. If you say to people, we're just selecting, you know, the guy in the street, you know, some people have the attitude of like, well, aren't ordinary people too stupid to sit and debate and and make intelligent uh, decisions about, you know, complex policy matters? So I think that's probably a key criticism and and I guess our answer to that is well th- these events have happened now hundreds and hundreds of times around the world at, at various different scales um on national levels and local levels and there's even been a global assembly now in the in the run up to the recent cop talks in glasgow and what we find over and over and over again is that you get people, you know, from across the kind of social spectrum into a room together. You give them respect, you give them information, and then you give them time and space to discuss issues with each other. And hey, presto, they come up with perfectly sensible proposals again and again. So, so, so people can govern themselves? I thought they were just, you know... <laughs> I thought they exactly. needed to be governed by, by quote unquote, smart by, people. That yeah, exactly. By 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 the men of best quality. I think one of the founding fathers in the U.S. famously said. But but yeah, it's that's our experience again and again, uh, which is is very heartening. And so yeah, that's what we do. We has, advocate um, for that. Has this ever been tried on any significant political level? It seems like it'll be a really cool experiment to do. But what's yeah. the highest level to which it's reached? Reached. So, I mean, I suppose there's, you know, obviously there have been assemblies on national levels. So I guess famously in Ireland, there were citizens assemblies, uh, kind of pioneering citizens assemblies actually called to address some really contentious issues uh, in that country. Uh, So, for example, they in Ireland had a constitutional ban on abortion. And that was a political issue that nobody wanted to touch. I mean, obviously, you know, in the States that it's it's a very controversial issue, whichever side of it you sit on. But in a country like Ireland, where the Catholic Church had enormous influence for, for much of the life of the Irish state, um, it was just an area that politicians were like, I don't want to go there. Um, it's going to be politically ugly. So they called for a citizens assembly, which some people said like, oh, that was just a cop out. Weren't the politicians making the decision? Maybe there's some truth to that as well. But but they, I, I think, were genuinely saying, OK, well, let's hear what people think. So they had this quite long process over months where people were coming every weekend or not every weekend sorry but over a number of weekends over over a course of a number of months they had a hundred people and again they they went through the 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 classic process that i've described so they were they were uh, selected by lottery so they were genuinely just regular people they came together they were informed by experts both in a kind of medical and scientific sense but also in an an ethical and moral sense and there were you know bishops there giving the, the 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 you know the catholic church's position on it and there were doctors there uh, giving medical opinions and so on and so forth and um, at the end of this process the uh, citizens assembly eventually voted to support the the idea of having a a referendum on the repeal of the constitutional ban on abortion and that referendum did in, indeed come to pass and the result of that referendum was that that, that constitutional ban would be removed and the law be changed and I won't go into as much detail, but similarly, they had a very similar process around the idea of same-sex marriage. Again, similar kind of issues around kind of 
religious attitudes that would have made it a, a, an awkward political conversation to have for a lot of politicians. They put it to a, a People's Assembly. People's Assembly recommended that um, the law be changed to allow for same-sex marriage. Again, it was put to a referendum of the, of the Irish people. Uh, and again, the Irish people who we might previously have said that's not going to happen in a socially conservative country. But that referendum also proposed a change in the law based partly on the, the fact that there'd been this well-publicised citizens' assembly process where demonstrably kind of ordinary people had been through a process, listened to a load of facts, information, discussed it with each other, uh, discussed it amongst themselves, you know, people with vastly different political, ethical, moral outlooks on the issues, uh, and but had managed to, to, to come together and, and form, you know, ultimately a sort of a common belief that they could that they could all agree on. Yeah, it sounds like people are capable, very capable yeah. when given the right, uh, you know, framework to work in. That's great. That's, yeah, um, that's that's right. Are there other organizations where sortition is a permanent part of their management structure? That would be cool. Yeah, that's something that we're actually exploring a lot at the moment. So we're, I won't name them because it's in the early stages, but we're working with a, a fairly large uh, non-government organization in the UK at the moment who are talking about trying to set up a, a kind of an internal sortition process. I guess in terms of things being kind of institutionalized and made permanent, the best example of that at the moment is what's been described as a, a Belgian experiment that Aristotle would have approved of, which is that in the uh, German-speaking region of East Belgium, where they have a kind of a semi-autonomous uh, region with its own parliament, they have set up a permanent institutionalised citizens' council, which the citizens' council is 24 members of the public who were selected by lottery in the way that I was describing earlier. That citizens' council has the task of selecting topics that citizens' assemblies should discuss. So it might choose a number of topics each year and it will then call a citizens' assembly. So then a, a new and different group of ordinary members of the public will be selected by lottery, maybe 25 to 50 people selected by lottery to take part in this specific citizens assembly that the citizens council has called for they will then discuss the issues in the way i described with listening to experts deliberating with each other coming to conclusions making recommendations those recommendations then get sent to the elected politicians in the in the parliament of east belgium to for, for them to to explore and basically citizens council then has a role to kind of hold the elected politicians to account and to insist upon a full kind of response to the outcomes from the citizens assembly so it's not to say that the politicians are bound to do exactly uh, what the citizens assembly tells them they think should be done but they are bound to explain very fully and very publicly why they're not doing that if there are aspects of the citizens assembly's recommendations that they, that they disagree with so that's very different to a, a kind of a standard kind of public consultation from government where they can basically ask the general public a load of questions the general public feeds in loads of information and then the government often just you know obviously chooses to ignore it if it doesn't suit their political ends so yeah that, that the belgian model is is something that's been up and running for a few years now and and a lot of people who are excited by deliberative democracy around the world look to that as a as one example of, of how we might uh, get these processes established more permanently and their outcomes taken more seriously well what about going further though what if um a company and i say you know what my c-suite I'm going to use sortition to stock it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to limit them to one term, let's say one year of service. I'm going to pre-ask yeah. a pool of people that, you know, at least could be competent enough to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then when they get picked, they can either do it or not. They'll be paid. They do it for, let's say, one year. That's it. They can't yeah. come back. I mean, has it gone that far with any organization you know of? Uh, it hasn't, as far as I know. I think it would be very exciting, and I think it would work. And, I mean, there are people who are calling for it to go beyond that, uh, even, and to happen on a broader political level. So I think I m- briefly mentioned earlier the organisation in the States that's called Of By Four, th- these guys who organised the citizens panel in Michigan around COVID-19 that I was talking about. I mean, they have a, a vision I'm just I'm quoting from their website, actually. They said their mission is to free America from parties and politicians and make it so government finally does right by its people. I mean, they would they would literally populate Congress with people selected by lottery. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Is that so bad? Like, what, what do the detractors say about that? What are the proponents of something that say about that based on your yeah. experience? Yeah, sure. I guess. I mean, the key criticism of that idea, I guess, would be that where's the accountability? Because obviously, you know, the idealized model of a of a kind of electoral democracy, if you're a member of the public and the government is is behaving in a way that you disapprove of, that's cool. You you have the power, you vote them out at the next election. So and then we all live happily ever after. Of course, I, I think the reality is that, you know, how representative are our representatives? And clearly there's a huge amount of disillusionment with, you know, the current political setup. And, and there's, there's very credible research to suggest that for the average voter or non-voter, for the average citizen, they, they have very little uh, sway over their elected representatives. Um, and that, that is particularly, you can see that particularly in relation to income level. So if you're near the bottom of the kind of socioeconomic hierarchy, the chances of you having significant impact on elected politicians is, is very, very low. So I, I guess for me, it's about conceiving of political legitimacy slightly differently and saying, you know, would I feel represented? Would I feel more represented by you know, let's say a Congress that was full of people that I could look at that Congress and say, yeah, I can recognize people very much like me in there. Would I feel more represented in that situation than I do right now? Would a lot of people feel more represented by that situation than they do right now if, if it was selected in the same way that, that juries are selected? I, I think the answer is is yes. It's, a, it's quite a conceptual leap. And I think most people's initial reaction is, oh my goodness, you cannot replace elections with anything. Like if you don't have elections, you don't have democracy. Um, Whereas we would argue, actually, democracy could do with a reboot uh, and an upgrade. And we we think selection of regular people by lottery to to make decisions is a a completely valid and democratic way of of doing things. Yeah, what do you think would happen if a company did go by the sortition model for its leaders? Right. Are there enough people that want to do things like this, take up these positions? I would guess there are. And then what would it mean to the world if there was a company that said, this is what we're doing going forward. And, you know, we're telling all the world that we're going to be the first big test of a sortition model ongoing in the governance of a company. Yeah. So, yeah, in answer to your first question, I think absolutely, yes, there would be people willing to put themselves forward. You know, that that's certainly our experience. You know, it might take some time for the idea to catch on for some people. There, there, there would be early adopters. There'd be people who are more reticent and more suspicious about what was going on. But ultimately, I think, you know, people want to have a say uh, over their own lives uh, in all kinds of ways. And it's interesting that you mentioned it in the context of, of a company rather than a government, because, yeah, we have this idea of democracy, at least in theory, don't we, for, for how we govern our nations. But when it comes to our workplaces, the idea of democracy is, is, is often completely ignored. So, yeah, I think if, if a large company was to was to adopt a sortition approach and say, this is how we're going to do things. I think, yeah, A, 
you absolutely would get employees of, of that organization being excited to to take on those roles if they were selected by lottery to do so. And B, I think it would be a tremendously exciting opportunity for the company in a sense. I think it would I think it would be very appealing to the general public who might be their potential customers to say, okay, yeah, this is an organization that trusts ordinary people to to run it. And uh yeah, as as an ordinary person, <laughs> that appeals to me. Well, what are some of the factors that you think would make something like this work versus make it fall apart and not work? So, yeah, I guess the positives would be that, yeah, I I strongly believe in the wisdom of crowds. I think if you, you know, get a a diverse bunch of people together to explore the problems that a company might be facing, for example, you're going to get better creative solutions, more workable creative solutions to those issues just through that kind of wisdom of crowds concept. I guess more specifically, if you're dealing with a large organization and you are pulling in people from different aspects of that organization to into the kind of the management of it, then you're going to be drawing in that expertise from those different areas of people who have, you know, day-to-day experience of of what's happening in those different departments or areas of of the organization. And they're going to bring that expertise into that kind of management space. So what are the factors you think that would contribute to the success or failure of an organization or a government using sortition? So I think uh, in terms of factors that would contribute to success of the organization, I think on the one hand, you would uh, have the benefit of the kind of the the general kind of wisdom of crowds. So, you know, you have a a diverse bunch of people from across the organization, you know, probably with different backgrounds, different experiences within that organization coming together to make decisions at a management level. I think you'd, you'd get better decisions. And yeah, if you're pulling in people from, say, different areas of the company who have kind of current up-to-date day-to-day experience of what's happening in all those different areas of of the company you bring all those people together in the boardroom as it were again I think you're going to be have a have a huge advantage there um, over a a typical boardroom that perhaps is populated by people who don't have so much in the way of recent hands-on experience of of, of what the organization is doing day-to-day okay so do you think it's likely that this is going to happen in the near future or is it still too far of a leap for most people that's a really good question. I mean, I guess often with these things, it's it's kind of about power. And to some extent, what would need to happen is for some enlightened, I guess, senior people within an organization to say, hang on a minute, I think this is going to work. I guess, it, you know, it, thus far, <laughs> experience tells us that it's quite unusual for people to voluntarily give away power. Mm, but yeah. So so that's that, that's clearly a, a barrier but I think it could happen and I think the more these kind of events gain publicity and, and the more that, that people become aware of them the more likely they are to happen on a political level within organizations and businesses so yeah I have optimism that we will we will see this happening for real in that kind of way yeah clearly there are barriers to people currently in positions of power wanting to give that power away into a kind of more de- democratic way of doing things but yeah i guess i feel some optimism that once people come to understand these kind of processes more and they kind of gain traction at the political level at the organizational level that yeah hopefully we'll have some some organizations willing to 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 experiment with this yeah no it's a a really interesting concept what's the best way for people to find out more about sortition in general and the sortition foundation and keep tabs on your projects where can they go Sure. So they can look at our website, of course, which is sorticianfoundation.org in the States, uh, where I'm guessing most of your listeners probably are. Um, I would certainly recommend checking out 
of by four. If you Google them, I think if you Google join of by four, there's a website there which will tell you all about them. It's also worth looking into just what happened with the America in One Room project if you're stateside to check out the benefits of, of kind of deliberative processes. Okay. No, those are two great reveals of by four. And what was the second one you said? The American what? America in One Room. If you just tap that up into Google, you'll find a, a fascinating experiment on, on a thing called deliberative polling there, which is another, another use of this kind of way of thinking. Excellent. Well, Rich, thank you so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it very much. No problem at all. It's been good to talk with you. Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules, powered by Neurobloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors, available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.